Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, welcome to Unabridged. We're here today to talk about bookish turnoffs and when to keep going. Before we get started, we want to remind you about our newsletter. You can subscribe on our website, unabridgedpod.com, or get to the link through Instagram up in our profile. Our Instagram is at unabridgedpod. We send out a monthly newsletter, and during this time of crisis, we are sending out a weekly newsletter because we feel like everybody might need some happy things to look forward to. So you can sign up for that and get us in your mailbox each week. All right, before we start our episode, we're going to do our bookish check-in. So Ashley, what are you reading? So uh, like a lot of people... Uh, who have been commenting on Bookstagram. I have been slower moving for sure lately. So I, yeah, so I, what I was working really hard on for Mar- when, once the crisis hit, I really wasn't able to get very much reading done. I'm having trouble adjusting. I have two little kids at home. And also I rely pretty heavily on audiobooks. And I, yeah, like it's not my favorite form of reading, so it's funny because I don't think of that as being a big part of how I get through books particularly, but that is definitely true because I I listen to them in the car and when I'm running and stuff like that. And I haven't been, yeah, so I just haven't made a whole lot of progress lately. And what I worked hard on in March toward the end, which did feel satisfying, was trying to wrap up a lot of the books that I'd left hanging. And I'm still working on that. But one book that I'm very excited that I've just started a tiny bit of and I can't wait to read is Abi Dere's The Girl with the Louding Voice. I was at the, I got this one for Book of the Month and I was really excited when I got it, but then several people in their March wrap-up had read it and had just rave reviews and so that made me even more excited to read it this month. So that's one that I'm getting started on just a little bit and look forward to reporting back on soon. Yeah, I really want to read that too. I also got that from Book of the Month, so maybe we can both read it this month. Yeah. See. Sarah, how about you? So like Ashley, I have been having a really hard time reading. Uh, In March, I read a whopping two books, and one of them was Internment, which I had to read for the podcast. So that kind of tells you that I will do my required reading, but the other reading, it's not going great. So I've started like eight or nine books and read maybe two or three chapters in each book, and nothing has really grabbed me. But I did the other day, or actually not the other day, um, just yesterday, I picked up Riley Sager's Lock Every Door because I thought maybe a thriller might like kind of hook me and something that was really plot driven might help me get some momentum and just get me through a book. I feel like maybe if I get through one book, (laughs) I will... I will maybe gain some traction and be able to keep going. Uh, so I am. I started Riley Sager's Lock Every Door. It, it actually did, you know, kind of grip me in the beginning. It's really seems like it's going to be interesting. It's set in New York City, which I love books set in the city. And uh, I'm really interested to see where it goes. So there's already, I, 
I think what is what hooked me is there's a lot of intrigue built at the very, very beginning. So I'm already wondering what's happening and think, thinking about what, why these, why the protagonist is doing the things she's doing. So I'm hopeful. I'm cautiously hopeful. <laughs> Yay for cautiously hopeful. Yeah, I really like that one. I think Sager. Sager is one of the people I can count on with thrillers, even though I've. I still like thrillers, but I've gotten pickier because it feels like some of those tropes just repeat and I get a little weary, but um, yeah, he's been consistent for me. So what are I, you reading? I just started A.O. and Ivy's The Snow Child, which Sarah, you uh, let me borrow kindly after recommending it. Was that our winter book? Winter books, yeah. It is not exactly seasonal at this point. I kept thinking this winter <laughs> that I would start it and I just didn't, but I started it today actually and the first couple of chapters are beautiful. So I think I'm really going to like it. Just the writing itself is gorgeous. Yeah, that's really, really good writing. All right. Well, we are going to turn to our topic for the day, which is bookish turnoffs. So we wanted to share some things that when we first see or think about a book or read a synopsis, it's a turnoff. And sometimes that turnoff turns out to be true. Like we really should not read that book. But then there are other times when it's worth it to work through the fact that we have this sort of visceral reaction against a book. It, it's worth continuing on. So Sarah, do you yes. start? Okay. Sure. I would be happy to. Okay. So my bookish turnoff is big, thick books. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can relate to that one, Sarah. So, I mean, I will read a synopsis of a book, you know, on Goodreads or someone will talk about it and I'll be like, oh, I really want to read that. And I'll go and it's like 555 pages or whatever it is. And I'm like, no, thank you. Just because I think it's because I'm such a slow reader and it just takes me so long to get through books that it is really difficult for me to say, okay, I'm going to read this giant book. But there have been books that I have read that I loved, which, I mean, I think everybody here that listens to us regularly knows how much I loved John Boyne's The Heart's Invisible Furies. And that is a, that's a big book. Yeah. And I loved it. And sometimes if I can push through, I will, and, and actually start a book mm-hmm. that's longer, I'll be okay. And I mean, I guess too, like if it's a YA book, that's different for me than like a literary fiction book. Yeah. And so I've been able to push through more like YA fantasy books, like Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. It is pretty hefty, but it's a little bit different than trying to get through like The Heart's Invisible Fury. So I, so I, so I do think like it is a hard, a hard thing for me to decide to pick up a big book but then sometimes I think it is worth it to push through because and keep going because the payoff can be great and I think too in thick books like that there is all this opportunity for character development and a richer kind of experience mm-hmm. but sometimes I just I'm like no nope, I'm not going to start that and a couple a year ago I wanted I decided I wanted to read a little life which is a whopping like 800 and something pages. And I started it and it is beautiful, but it is really hard reading um, both in content and just the writing is just really intricate. And so that one I decided, okay, I know this is a great book, but I am going to, I'm going to set it aside for right now because 
I was not in the frame of mind to both power through the, the gorgeous writing and mm-hmm. the difficult content. What about you all? What do you all think about big old books? <laughs> yeah, so I can really relate to that. I feel like for me, in the past, I didn't mind them so much because I didn't care as much about how quickly I made progress. So I was a lot more accepting mm-hmm. of being in it for a long time. If it took me a long time to get through something, it didn't matter to me as much. But now that I'm a lot more conscious of how much progress I'm making in my reading, I'm a lot more reluctant to devote the time, even even the fantasy series, which I normally love, and they do move fast for how many pages you're reading. I find that I don't wind up reading them now because I feel like I can't commit to, you know, two to 3,000 pages of a fantasy world and the amount of time it's going to take to get through that, even though, like you said, Sarah, they are quicker moving than certainly a literary fiction book that's Mm -hmm. really long. But I do, I have found that I'm a lot more reluctant to just pick them up because once Mm -hmm. I see that they're really big, I, like Cassandra Clare's The Lady Midnight series is a great example of one that normally I would have, before we did the podcast and before I was as conscious of how much I was reading at a time, I definitely would have, you know, completely consumed that um since Mm -hmm. Jen very kindly let me borrow all three of them like once I have that and it's available I would have picked it up right away and I do think I'm I'm hoping to make time for that this month because I think that I would really enjoy that experience and right now I could use a win in the Mm -hmm. in the reading enjoyment department and so I do think that I will make some time for that but yeah I find that I don't do it and honestly for me the only way I have had good success is like, for example, Pachinko, which I absolutely Mm -hmm. loved. I started on my Kindle and I had no idea that was really long. And so in some ways (laughs) I found the most, (laughs) I mean, it's true. I found the most success now with Kindle books that are long because I don't feel daunted by them. And it's again, I don't think I used to have that experience in the past. So I do think that that is something that is new as I have cared more and more about number Mm -hmm. of books consumed the more I care about that, the less I'm willing to make the time for those big books. I, I love books. I feel like I have Sir Mix a lot in my head right now. I will not rap for you. But <laughs> I do love big books. And yeah, I, I will pick them up. My big thing is I get really impatient when it takes me, like when a, an experience reading a book is spread out over a long time. So I like to wait until I feel like I can read it in a fairly concentrated amount of time, which again, with scattered reading deadlines and things like that has gotten harder. But yeah, as a fan of Stephen King, I have read long books for a long time. And I still, again, that's not the same kind of reading as something like The Heart's Invisible Furies. But yeah, it's not really a turnoff for me. It's just a, I'm very mindful of when I start them. I was just going to say that maybe that is something I should think about too, is how to kind of clear my slate before I take them on. Because I do think that that's a Another difference is that I, I never have been like an only one book reader, but now I'm consistently reading for sure three, but usually more like six at a time. And and so I think that there are some benefits to that, but it does make it harder for one of those to be a really long book. So yeah, that's a good that's a good thing to think about. Maybe I can kind of try to, like I said, I was, at the end, like I said, in our bookish check-in at the end of March, I was trying to wrap up a lot of the ones that I'd left hanging. And so maybe, you know, if I do that, then I can make space for a bigger book. All right. So Ashley, what is your bookish turnoff that you want to talk about today? So one that I have found is really a struggle for me is unlikable characters. And I think 
I think I want that to not be true about me. And that's part of <laughs> that's part of why it's interesting to me is like I think that yeah, like philosophically I want characters to be unlike I want to be fine with characters who are unlikable because I think it's okay to not be a perfect person. It's fine to have flaws. I don't think you have to be what society particularly for women that you don't have to be what society is making you out to be. But if you're not, then often that does make you come across as unlikable. So I think philosophically, I agree with all of that. But then emotionally, I have a really hard time to connecting to narrators who I don't like. And so that's been really interesting to discover. And so for me, one example of that recently is that I was reading Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl. And I picked that one up because it was recommended to me by a lot of people as far as a thriller that if you don't really like thrillers, you still should give it a try. And yeah, I have, I have a lot of things to say about that that I'm not going to get into right now. But I think that one of the things that it confirmed for me is just that when I don't, I didn't like Nick or Amy. And I think that when you are seeing things from both of their perspectives, but you just really do not like them, it is hard to enjoy the reading experience for me. And so that just confirmed my bias that if I don't like the characters, it's hard for me to get past it. But a, a on the other side of that, I am reading, or I ha- I just finished Miranda Popke's Topics of Conversation, mm-hmm. and that is a great example of where you are both, the narrator is unnamed, you experience her in a lot of ways through her connections to other people, and the she's in a lot of the books she's describing what other the stories other people told her and she's receiving those stories and that's how you're coming to know her and so I think it's both that you are distant from the main narrator who again I think this is all purposeful from Popkey's perspective like you don't have her name you're moving mm-hmm. with her over this long period of time so I think you're supposed to feel that way and yet and, and in a lot of ways she is unlikable she is she is, she does not like herself. She is really struggling to come to grips with things. And because of the way the story is told, in a lot of ways, you're seeing the ugliest parts of her. And so mm-hmm. instead of her kind of driving the narrative and us then sympathizing with her as the reader, we're really experiencing her opinions about everything else that's happening. And that means that some of those opinions, just like what's in my head that I wouldn't necessarily share if I were the one driving the narrative, are things that are kind of ugly, like judgments that are being Mm -hmm. made or, um, you know, kind of casual cruelties toward other people and stuff like that. And I think that it was off-putting at first, and then I really loved that story. I just thought it was really powerful. I think it had, I think Popkey had some really great insights into life, and I also felt like in the end, what I loved about that reading experience is that it felt very real, that the things that I came to understand about this unnamed narrator who I traveled through these experiences with is this, like, raw and real experience of life. And I think that's really powerful. Mm-hmm. So that's on the contrast. That was a one that I'm really glad I stuck with because I, she's very unlikable in a lot of ways. And yet I thought that was a really powerful reading experience. Mm-hmm. What about you all? What do you think about unlikable characters? For me, it depends there. I've read books where there's no one to root for. And I don't like either character because I didn't like Nick or Amy and Gone Girl, but I love that book. I also feel like when I, when I read that book, it had just come out and it was kind of like the start of the the twists, like the big twist 
thrillers and it was new and novel, whereas now several years later it is, I mean, you know, it kind of, it kind of blew out that genre. And so it, it's not new anymore. And so now I feel like sometimes thrillers jump the shark. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was a digression. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't like either of them and I really did like that book, but then I read Girl on the Train, which, and I just, I did not like that book. Uh, and tons of people liked it, but I just did not like the main character. And I thought I just didn't like her choices. I mean, it was just a ton of a ton of things. So mm-hmm. I feel like it just depends on the book. It depends on how the narrative is woven for me. If I if I can really like a book with a bunch of unlikable characters. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I stand. So I like them sometimes and sometimes I don't. <laughs> how yeah, about you, Jen? I am very persuadable when I'm reading. And so like <laughs> topics of conversation, I was fine with the narrator. I mean, I, I not that I thought she was a perfect person, but I felt, found her to be very, I could identify a lot with her. Like I would not have called her an unlikable character. So I think that's interesting because like Breaking Bad, I was all in for Walt. You know what I mean? So it, mm-hmm. people can be really bad, but I will say because of that, when someone when I would call them unlikable, I'm over it. Like I loved Alice Siebold's The Lovely Bones. And I thought her memoir Lucky was incredibly powerful, though painful at times to read. But when I read her book, The Almost Moon, I disliked. Yeah, I just like those characters so much that that is one. So I think usually I can work through it partially because (laughs) I don't have very good judgment always when I'm reading because I'm so swept away by the book. But I do think if someone is truly unlikable to me, it makes me dislike the book. Like, I really dislike The Almost Moon because I did not like those characters. That's about a woman and her mother. And they are, they are, yeah, it was pretty loathsome. So, yeah, so all in all, I agree. I just think I have a lot higher tolerance for people in books who are unlikable, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think you're very forgiving of books. Like a lot of times, I I'll be like, I don't like this, and you. I feel like you are able to see. You, you you're able to see good things in a book, even, whereas like I'm just not willing to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I yeah. that, which that makes me sad. <laughs> I should give people more grace, but I should have better judgment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my. All right. What about well, you? What about you, Jen? So my I have talked about this a lot on the podcast before, but I entered into this period where it was a couple of years ago and I just read, I don't know, a ton of World War One and World War Two books, all back to back. mainly World War Two, but there were a couple World War One books in there. And some of them were absolutely brilliant. But I just got to this place where now if I see that in the description. I really have to work to make myself want to read the book. Like it mm-hmm. has to either be a new, I, I think part of it's because I've been learning about World War II in particular since I was in middle school. And it's not that I think I have nothing left to learn, but it's that a lot of times I feel as if the books focus on the same things that I feel like I already know a lot about. And so it really takes a new angle to make me willing to read it. So for example, toward the end of that period, when I was just reading one after another, after another, I read the Lilac Girls, which I know a lot of people absolutely love. 
And it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it was just, I, I was kind of, this is going to sound really horrible and callous, but I was just sort of shrugging the whole time. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've read this before. It, that sounded really awful. And I'm regretting having said it, but it is the truth. I was just like, yeah, I felt like I've read this story before. And yeah. it's not that there was nothing new about it. And, and I didn't think the writing was so beautiful that the writing made it worth reading. And so I just kind of thought I may never be able to read about this topic again. Well, then <laughs> one of my book clubs chose the book, The Alice Network, which is about World War One and World War Two, both. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe it. But, you know, I'm going to be a good book club member and I'm going to read it. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought the characterization was brilliant. It's about female spies. I thought that was something that I didn't know a lot about. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I need to remember that the the right take on a topic with which I am, you know, just completely over that topic it is going to make me like it. I shouldn't let the topic totally turn me off to an entire group of books, I guess. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for book of the month for April, I got a book about World War II. Because it's fantasy, it takes place in China. It just seemed like it would be something that I don't know as much about, which was mm -hmm. intriguing. Even though when I first saw World War II, I was like, oh my gosh, well, that's not going to be it. And then I was like, come on, Jen, like, talk through. <laughs> It'll be okay. How about you guys? What do you think about World War One and World War Two, or just a topic in general? Yeah, I I went through that with World War Two as well, just because I read a bunch. I read Sarah's Key and the Book Thief. I read all these books on that topic, and then and then my book club chose All the Light We Cannot See, and I loved that. I thought it was yeah. gorgeous. But I just I think I understand what you're saying. I think that because that is a widely written about topic that it does become, it's like a fatigue that sets in and you, you know, that it, you know, that this is horrendous and all that, but mm -hmm. to read it is just, it gets to be, I mean, it's just like kind of like a desensitization, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yes. Being desensitized dirt because you've read so much. Um, so I, that is definitely for me one. And then also for me, kind of when I look at genres and things and I see science fiction, I'm like, I'm out. I don't even <laughs> give it a, a go. But then we read for the book, for the podcast, uh, Blake Crouch's Dark Matter. And I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. I thought it was uh, very interesting and it definitely kept my attention. So so I definitely have those genres or and topics that I automatically dismiss, and it definitely takes takes me a push from somebody, some outside force to read. But I've I've had some good good luck reading books that I really love when someone else is pushing me forward yeah. to read it. What about you, Ashley? Yeah, I for one thing, I also got that book, Jen, and it is. Janie Chang's The Library of Legends. Thank so, you. And that, I'm really excited about that one. And same, I, I was captivated by that because of the cover and because it's fantasy and because it was set in China. So I felt like all those mm -hmm. things yeah. were really interesting to me as it, because I'm sure that even if it's during the same time period, it's going to be different than I've never read anything that was World War II in China. So I think I'm really interested in that. And 
I have a similar fatigue about war books in general. It honestly, Mm -hmm. it's both fatigue because I've read too many of them and also because that would not be something I would choose to read about. So it's both Mm -hmm. parts. Like that is not something that I particularly want to read a lot about. And then also that I've read a lot of it. So it's, it's all of that, I think. But, and, and often I feel like it is a trope that is used for convenience and so because it's an easy way to create conflict it's an easy way to drop characters into a setting and then have something happen so I I think sometimes it can be I think I I feel that when I'm reading books that are like that where I'm like oh well if if this weren't set in wartime there would be nothing happening in this story like you know so I think that sometimes I don't I don't appreciate it from that angle so definitely I have read books since I've had that fatigue that I've felt like I could have lived without reading, but I have similar to both of you. I have read some that I've powered through and then been really thankful I did. And like some examples of that. So I also read all the light we cannot see and I'm really glad that I did. I thought it was really phenomenal. And one of the things I loved about that, Jen, you mentioned that was probably the first book that I have read that connected World War One to World War Two so clearly mm-hmm. and showed the remnants of the impact of World War One on people during World War Two. And I really mm-hmm. loved that because I think that that part was just so interesting and was something that I'm kind of surprised I haven't read more things that did that because, of course, there are tons of people who were heavily impacted by both of the wars mm-hmm. being so close together. But that was really – I think that was one angle that I really loved in that book. Um, another one that I've read that I loved was Rita Sepsky's Salt to the Sea. And mm-hmm. similarly, I'm just so glad I read it. It was about the people who are fleeing from different countries and trying, you know, that whole like, refugee experience. And I hadn't read any other books that looked at that angle. So again, familiar setting of World War II, but very different story being told mm-hmm. that was really moving. And finally, just recently, um, just last week, I read George Takei's they called us enemy. And I just thought that was phenomenal. And I'm so glad I read it. And I also was shocked that I have read so little. I mean, I was just, it made me realize how ignorant I was to everything that happened with Japanese Americans mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. with both Japanese people living in America and also Americans of Japanese descent. And how I didn't know, I didn't realize some of the things about citizenship being re- renounced. Like some of that stuff was just unbelievable and Mm -hmm. so I was really moved by the story and also amazed by how little I knew about some of those details how long it lasted I mean everything that Takei shared about his family I just didn't realize how long the camps lasted and how they were for you know they were forced into some of those situations I don't need to retell the whole story but I mean I think it just was really powerful to show that they were forced to make these horrendous choices over and over and over again in our country. And I think it's just really important for Americans to recognize what was happening then so that we can be mindful about how quickly those things can can happen. So, yeah. yeah. So I'm really glad I read it. So, yeah, I think I have a lot of examples of you know, why you should push on through, but I definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm, I definitely <laughs> am also turned off by, by anything that says war, but particularly World War II. I will say, I know that we are not alone. I One one of the reading challenges I'm doing for the year says a history book not set in World War II. And, <laughs> and, and if you download our newsletter, if you sign up for our newsletter, we have a tracking spreadsheet included that it's the one that I use. And I have separated out World War II from history books. So, yeah, I feel like it is prevalent enough 
yeah. that it is worth noting when it's a history book that's not about World War II. Because I do feel like there's just been this big boom in publishing. I'm not sure why. And again, I think there's a lot of rich content there, but history is rich. And so I think yeah. there are so many things to write about. It's just interesting that we're so drawn to that. Anyway, we don't have to continue harping on this particular topic. But, but I do think it kind of is like, the Gone Girl phenomenon is that they are someone wrote a book. I don't know what book that was for the World War II genre, but it did seem like there was a book, and then there were so many books, and it just—I mean—it hasn't stopped. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and I think also it's that. Yeah, I think that, like I said about the tropes, I think that like there are yeah. some really phenomenal scenarios that come up within that setting because it was such a horrendous circumstance in so many places. I mean, honestly, I feel like in the future we will read books about this pandemic and, and and the things that happen, because I think that when something impacts so many people in so many different places, then Mm -hmm. you do get to see those individual heroes who do rise up and do these phenomenal things. And Mm -hmm. that is a great story. And it's an important thing for us to be able to celebrate and remember. And I still feel Mm -hmm. like that's part of why it happens. But again, I think people jump on that, jump on that bandwagon. And then sometimes, sometimes they're telling a really novel and powerful story. And other times they're using that setting in a way that sometimes for me feels manipulative, which I don't like because I think, you know, I don't want to be manipulated by, I don't want somebody to kind of exploit something that was horrific in our world just to tell a story or to have a way to tell a story. So, well, and I mean, I think too, as readers, even though, I mean, that, that time period is horrendous, but if we see a book that's set in world war two, we know what to expect. You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, even though it's Mm -hmm. a horrendous thing, there's a comfort in knowing what, what to expect. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's the same reason, you know, people read murder mysteries or whatever it is or right. things that are horrific, but they read all of the all the things in that category because they know what they're getting when they yeah. start it. So yeah. I think that sometimes there's comfort in that knowing, knowing mm-hmm. what's going to come. Yeah. yeah. Just because it popped in my head, I do want to shout out another one that I really liked recently. And I read we were the lucky ones because I heard the author on a podcast and that is her grandparents generation and it was the entire family and it had that refugee element Ashley that you were talking about with salt to the sea which I still have not read that book but it was she went back and did all of this research because it was a large family and they had to flee and so she was researching where they all ended up and how those different refugee experiences turned out and that was another angle that I hadn't hadn't thought of and but because I heard her on the podcast and she was so engaging and she talks about what it was like to learn about that the things stories from her family that she'd never heard that book was amazing as well so yeah I do think it's the angle on it Mm -hmm. it's it's that new perspective on something like you're saying Sarah that you know so well that's maybe comfort reading, but the problem with World War II books as comfort reading is that there is nothing comforting about comforting yeah right I mean, you have the power of people to make a difference and you have people who've done brave and heroic things, but that's not comfort reading for me the same Mm -hmm. way, like a romance that I know is going to have a happily ever after ending is comfort reading. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think we all 
read and taught Alan Gratz's Refugee. And I think that's a good example also of where yeah. there is historical context. World War II is relevant, but it's one of three storylines and the focus is on the refugee part. So I think mm-hmm. that that is where, like, I really appreciated all the historical elements of that book, but felt like it was telling a really unique story. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good talk. We would love to know <laughs> in, on social media what your bookish turnoffs are. Do you share any of our bookish turnoffs? Do you have different ones? And when are they worth working through? And when are they maybe not worth working through? So, all right, before we sign off, we are going to do our Give Me One today. And we are continuing with our theme of things to get you through quarantine, hopefully. So today we're going to talk about Give Me One Show to Binge. So, Ashley, do you want to start? Sure. I am in love with Shit's Creek and... Um, that is the last name, S-C-H-I-T-T, apostrophe S, Creek. And I just think it is phenomenal. And actually, I was thinking as we were talking that in some ways, the main family, particularly, it's it's two parents and then two grown children, and they are exceedingly wealthy, and then they lose all of their wealth. And all they have left is that on a whim, the father a long time ago had purchased this town for the son because again, they had bazillions of dollars. And so all they wind up left with is their ownership of this town. And so they wind up in the town because they have nothing else left. And so it just, I I was thinking about it earlier because in some ways the main characters, particularly the two children who are grown are really unlikable. And so I think it does speak to what I was saying earlier about sometimes you have to just be like, okay, I'm going to roll with the fact that these people are really unlikable. And, but you know, I have been with it for a while now and I absolutely love it. I think it is brilliant. And I, and you come of course to love them. I mean, I think that there's a lot of that. But I mean, yeah, I think it's a great story and it is a really fun show. So I have two. So I'm going to cheat today. <laughs> give me one. <laughs> well, so I wanted to give one that has, that is so bingeable, but it is also kind of dark or not kind of, it is dark. And then one that it has a little bit less darkness. So the first one is Broadchurch and it, I binged it on Netflix uh, it is a British murder mystery show, but the acting and the storytelling in it is phenomenal. It stars David Tennant and Olivia Coleman, both of whom are fantastic in everything they do, but they are particularly mm-hmm. fantastic in this. And they have, uh, they are not like in a relationship. They are in a work partnership, but they have great chemistry in that, in that work partnership in terms of the way that they play off of each other. And the mystery portion is great. And I, I started it and I finished it in like two days. So which maybe isn't something to brag about, but I don't often get to do that. <laughs> but I just had to know what happened. And what I like about it is there is a thread throughout the first and second and third se- season. There's three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, for a second, I was second guessing if there was a third. But but there's a thread of a story happening throughout all three seasons. But then also each season has a particular mystery that is happening that that they are trying to solve so I really like that because I felt like like I like that conclusion at the end of a season however I will say that I just 
barreled one through and watched all three. <laughs> and so that's Broad Church, and it is great. It is on Netflix. And then the second one is Cheer. So I had to include a reality television program, but it is not. It's more of a docu-series than reality TV. And this is the story of Navarro Junior College and their road to the, the 2000... 18 or 19, I have to check that, the uh, cheer competition, and they are like elite cheerleaders in this at this junior college. It's a tiny little town where they live, and it's just the story of all the kids and then the coach, Monica, who like inspires them to do these incredible things, and it is, it's great. You fall in love with so many of the cheerleaders and it's just a great it's great storytelling and i'm really sad because they were going to do season two on their road to the 2020 cheer competition but that of course has been canceled so i'm i'm anxious to see if they will still have a season two just later but it is a great binge and it's only like six episodes so it's it's quick and i really recommend it yeah those are my two I got distracted for a minute because I was upset that my neighbor was mowing and then thought, well, what do I do? And then I realized I think it's my husband and I can't believe he decided to mow while we were recording. So I wanted to go back and say, Ashley, I really want to watch Schitt's Creek. That is definitely on my list of shows I want to watch. And I still want to watch Cheer, but I endorse Broadchurch. So (laughs) all those things. So yeah, I have so many shows that I want to watch. It's kind of like my TBR stack as well. One thing about Broad Church is that it is, if you are a highly sensitive person, you might not want to watch it because it does deal with bad things that that happen to children, and so you definitely need need to know that going in. But but it but again, it is brilliant storytelling and acting. Yeah. Sorry, I just felt like I needed to give that disclaimer. <laughs> I know I keep thinking so, that I'm not going to watch it, but now that we are where we are in the world, I may wind up watching it because yeah. I and it might be sorry. But I also am looking for things to watch that are really engrossing. So we'll see. So I'll report back. All right. So my two, (laughs) I'm not going to spend a lot of time on either one of these. I will just say, so I watch shows with my family and then my husband and I have shows that we watch together. And then I always have what I call my treadmill shows, which are the shows that I'm watching by myself. And I tend to get through those faster than either of the other categories. So Lock and Key is about... A family who, after the murder of their father, moved to his home, which is this huge, kind of creepy, kind of cool mansion. And the kids, so there are two teenagers and one son who's like elementary school age. I think he's like 10. And they start discovering these keys that give them magical powers. And... It's, it's about the progress of that. The fact that their father was murdered is tied into legends about the house. So there's all of this really interesting family history wrapped up. I just loved it. It was great. I did think, I initially thought that I might watch it with my kids. I do think it's too scary for my kids. Both are pretty sensitive to scary stuff and horrible people. So I, I don't think it would be great for them. I think some kids would be fine with it. But it is just this amazing world building that I absolutely loved. The other one I want to recommend, I saved as my treadmill show because it, the show is entirely in Italian and it has subtitles. So I cannot multitask while I'm watching it. But it's My Brilliant Friend. I'm watching season one, which is based on the Elena Ferrante series. And it's a a season per book. 
And oh my goodness, it is just amazing. It is so beautifully done. And it's been a little while since I read the book, My Brilliant Friend. But as far as I can tell, it quite closely mimics what happens in the book. But just watching it brought to life has been amazing. So right now, the the two girls, the narrator and her best friend are teenagers in this small town in Italy after World War II. And the town has people who are part of, they, they sort of rule the town because they're part of this crime family. And it's partly about that, but it's also about whether the girls can get a good education because this is a place that does not prize women getting education. Both the girls are really smart. They have to pay to go to school and one girl's family cannot afford to send her to school. So she just has to give up on her dreams. She's teaching herself all of these subjects on her own. The other girl can't afford to go, the narrator. And yeah, I just, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm about halfway through season one and season two has just started. So I'm going to read that book before I watch season two, but I'm loving it. So if you need something that really absorbs your attention, <laughs> if you're okay with subtitles, I would recommend My Brilliant Friend on HBO. So, All right. Well, I think that is everything. Thank you all very much for your bookish turnoffs. And again, we'd love to hear about your bookish turnoffs on social media head over to our website, unabridgedpod.com to subscribe to our newsletter and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.